All right, welcome back to another episode of Creedal Catholic. Today, as we head into our Thanksgiving week, and no, Advent is not quite here yet, but it's right around the corner, I'm having on the show one of my favorite human beings of all time, Sally Crippen, my wife. Sally, how are you? I'm great. I'm glad to be back. And I love talking about liturgical living and Advent in particular. You are one of the foremost experts I know on the topic of family liturgical <laughs> the living. only one you know if I am an expert. Uh, well, I've had Kendra Tierney on the show, as you know, uh, by, yes. at your suggestion, in fact. And Kendra is, I think, one of the pioneers of what we can maybe call like sort of Catholic mom liturgical living. I think she's definitely reinvented Re- it or like renewed it. Sure. Or what is the word? Brought it back. <laughs> Reinvigorated. She's brought it back. Because as she points out, and most liturgical living experts do, this is a years-long tradition of the church. And so we're really just bringing back these traditions that people used to practice all the time. It's a centuries-long tradition of the church. Right, I mean, I was reading um, Ken Follett's Pillars of the Earth, which I didn't even finish because there's just kind of so much garbage in that book. I just found it rather awful. But um, even in there, like, it's in the Middle Ages, and the whole life of the town is set up around, physically and metaphorically, around the church in the center of the town. Right. And everyone's lives are dictated by the liturgical seasons of the church. Right. And That's the way I feel whenever I read books set in Ireland. Right. Or Kristen Laverne's daughter back in 14th century Norway, where everyone was Catholic and their whole lives, yeah, centered around the liturgical year. And there's something really beautiful about that. Um, and there there are some things that we can sort of talk about, about like the value of liturgical living, but we'll, we'll get to all that. Um, let's just kind of hone it, hone, hone in a little bit on the topic for today, which is Advent. And Advent, I think, is a great opportunity, great time of year in the same way that Lent is, great opportunity to kind of dive into what we call liturgical living and really take on some of the practices that the church recommends or commends to us. And uh, even better than Lent because it's a mini Lent. It's right. shorter. And we're leading up to Christmas, which is not a better holiday than Easter, but there's just so many traditions surrounding it. Kids are maybe a little bit more excited about it than Easter. So it's kind of an easy one to, or easier time of year to enter into liturgical living. Yeah, great point. I mean, I know that we have used our sort of mini Lent, like you said, Advent in the past as a means to, or as an ability to um, try out something that we're thinking about taking on for Lent, but really not sure if we have the spiritual stamina, stamina to do it. <laughs> Uh, so that's, it's, it's good. You know, if you've maybe thought of like, maybe I'll give up some, you know, give up X for, for Lent, um, try it for Advent and see, see how it is. You know, I, I think like, you know, whenever you take on privations, especially if there are big privations, you should always do that in consultation with your pastor or your spiritual, spiritual director, because sometimes we can deprive ourselves of things too quickly and they just make us crabby and grumpy and draw us further away from God. Uh, sometimes though, especially if we do it intentionally and prayerfully and in consultation with someone who is looking out for our own spiritual health uh, and sanctification, then then they can really be really beneficial. So uh, I think that's great. Uh, I wanted to read just very briefly. Um, the church talks about Advent in only one paragraph of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and it says this. When the church celebrates the liturgy of Advent each year, she makes present this ancient expectancy of the Messiah. For by sharing in the long preparation for the Savior's first coming, the faithful renew their ardent desire for his second coming. By celebrating the precursor's birth and martyrdom, the church unites herself to his desire, quote, he must increase, but I must decrease, end quote. So that is what the catechism says about the season of Advent. It's obviously not much, but there's, I still think, a lot there to unpack. So we can talk about some, some themes here. One of the ones that comes through most strongly in that little excerpt is that Advent is expectant or 
or and preparatory. So we are expecting the second coming of Christ as we build up to this moment in which we recall the first coming of Christ. Um, and as we do that, we're also preparing. And so just like John the Baptist, who goes out into the desert to prepare a way in the wilderness, we too are preparing a way in the wilderness of our hearts or of our souls to to bring in Christ. We're also, by the way, I think preparing a way in the wilderness of the world. And there's this this idea of Advent, I think, as sort of a, um, a a spot of peace in a world that is full of chaos. And perhaps that's perhaps that resonates especially strongly with you this year, as it does for me. I mean, like we've just had so much so much chaos this year, um, primarily due to the pandemic. But if you're an American, then you know about um, all of the racial justice protests that uh, took place across the nation this summer. You know about the rather raucous election season, and even still disputes of election results, et cetera. I mean, it's a really chaotic time to be alive. And yes, we can historically contextualize all this stuff and and say that people are just soft today because in the Middle Ages, the bubonic plague was much worse and all that. But, you know, I think... Um, it doesn't change our own experience. Right. And to, to sort of our modern psyche, I think this is, you know, a, a traumatic year um, all the same, right? And so I think that this is perhaps a really good year to step back and think about Advent as a time of peace as well. There's uh, there's that song, Vini Sancti Spiritus, Come Holy Spirit. And there's a line in there that translates, at, I think um, it literally translates as um, in tears solace, in fletu solatium. Uh, Latin scholars probably would say I pronounced that incorrectly. But like the more poetic pronunciation is solace in the midst of woe, which I think is a very beautiful way of thinking about Advent. This is a time that, yes, it's expectant. Yes, it is preparatory. Yes, we might even be abstaining from things that we normally love to to enjoy. Uh, you know, maybe candies, maybe meat, maybe some other favorite food of yours, maybe hot showers, right? So we're it's abst- all leading up to one of the greatest period of our church. Right, and there's a point too, I mean, which, which we in which we place our entire faith in Christ um, because of that preparation, precisely because of that expectancy. And that's where the solace in the midst of woe comes from. I mean, think about, you know, when uh, at the Annunciation, when Mary says, let it be done to me according to thy word, um, she's not afflicted by chaos. There's no chaos that reigns in her heart. You know, Jesus Christ um, has not yet been born, uh, but she is at peace. Um, and so there's this, there's this, I think, sense in which we can embrace that in Advent as well as we anticipate the celebration of Jesus' first coming and, in reality, his second coming at some point in the future. What, what else do you think we should think about in Advent, Sally? Um, yeah, well, I think that what along with the expectant and preparatory aspect is that we have to be patient while we're waiting for Christmas to come. Yeah. And that is pretty countercultural because usually Christmas starts on Black Friday, if not before. I know a lot of people this year are kind of starting their Christmas decor even earlier just because COVID has been such a drag. So they want to, you know, jump to something fun and exciting, which I totally understand. But I think Advent can be really fun and exciting in its own way, especially as you prepare yourself and and having kids helps. Um, not that you can't fully enter into Advent without kids, but there's so many ways to make it really fun for kids that help them to get ready for the big octave or 12 days or six to eight weeks of Easter or of of Christmas that you want to that you're going to celebrate. So I think just putting off as much Christmas celebrating and Christmas preparation or not 
preparation, but Christmas celebrating is possible yeah. before the 25th. No, I think it's a good point. I mean, I remember growing up, our tradition was to set up the tree the day after Thanksgiving. Same here. Yeah. And it was really fun because yeah. it was like, I mean, to, to our minds, it was okay. The Christmas season is now here right. because Thanksgiving is done. We got the first big holiday out of the way and now we're just cruise controls at the second holiday. And, um, you know, as, as I grew up, actually, my parents kind of became more liturgically minded as, as, um, as I grew older. And so we kind of shifted away from that model later, but I think you and I do something even more radically different, which is like, we try to actually not celebrate Christmas until it's Christmas. I also remember having a coworker one time who said that he, I might've told the story before. I know you've heard it, Sally, but maybe even to my listeners, but he said that, you know, I and my, uh, my wife and kids and I, we celebrate the 12 days of Christmas and they get a little gift uh, you know, starting on the, whatever it is, the 14th or whatever, whatever, the 12th day before Christmas, the day down Christmas, yeah, Christmas. Counting, yeah, counting down to Christmas. And I was like, oh, you know, the 12 days of Christmas start on Christmas, right? And right. I was like, oh, really? Well, it's really hard because usually Christmas music on the radio stops on the 26th right. and there start to be Christmas sales and Christmas is just over after the 25th. And I think it makes Advent that much more meaningful when you realize that the church's calendar is set up for Christmas to then last until you can even drag it out until Candlemas right. in February, but at least for an octave, if not 12 days, if not the baptism of our Lord. So it's not just all of this penitential uh, giving up and sacrifice and fasting and almsgiving for a month to have one day of feasting. It's right. actually many days. That's a good point too, because there's also this, I mean, we, growing up, we did not do this, uh, but we had family friends who took down their Christmas tree either Christmas day or the day after, because that was the end of the season. And so right. it's like, well, there's nothing more to celebrate. Now, both the big holidays are over. Now it's just kind of, we stay up late on New Year's Eve and then we're, we're back into the swing of things with our New Year's resolutions. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Christmas is a lot longer than that. So I think waiting to do your Christmas tree, waiting to do Christmas movies, waiting to, um, you know, partake of the sort of Christmas cookies and treats as much as you can. I think those are all really good things. And I like your countercultural point too. I mean, we should be doing these things a little bit differently than the, uh, you know, the Santa Claus at the mall views Christmas, right? It's, it's not the same to us and it shouldn't be the same to us. Yeah. And I think on the penitential aspect that Advent is a mini Lent, not in the sense that it's Lent light, but that it's just shorter. Right. So we still incorporate all of fasting, almsgiving and prayer into our spiritual life in a new way, in a deeper way. And it's uh, fitting that the, the winter ember days fall during Advent, which are an intensified time of fasting and penance. So I think, um, as, uh, and then even there's, we have two vigils, which are also times of fasting and penance. Whenever there's one a of them, vigil. Which, one of them is very, going to be very surprising to a lot of our listeners, I think. Right. The, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, let's, let's get to all that in a sec, but I first want to like okay. step back and just talk about liturgical, liturgical living in general and why that's important. And so, we just have, we already mentioned the countercultural thing, right? It's a way for us to be in the world, but not of it. It's a way for us to bear public witness to the fact that what we do is different. You know, one thing um, I remember listening to a, uh, to a Matt Frad um, podcast recently, and you know, he was, he was sharing with him that, no, no, actually he was interviewing a, a, another guy named Jacob Imam who was sharing with Matt that after he became a Christian from Islam, this is Jacob Imam, um, some of his friends challenged him, his his still Muslim friends challenged him. And basically the challenge was like, you know, you, it, it, it boiled down to you guys don't take this seriously enough. And I think there's a, there's, there's something there in, 
at least a reflection on how lax kind of like modern Western Christianity. And I also mean Catholicism has become like as an example, the, you know, it used to be a standard practice that uh, Catholics not eat meat on Fridays that has since been relaxed in the past several decades by the USCCB, et cetera. Um, you know, now it's like, now you're certainly allowed to eat meat on Fridays and it's just encouraged that you take on some other practice. But even that, that recommendation is not commonly known. So I think most American Catholics don't take on any sort of penance um, on a Friday and certainly not casting aspersions at any individual Catholic in his or her situation. But what I'm saying is I think there's this general tendency that, that we like, we go to the mat, we go to mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation. But beyond that, the faith doesn't have a whole lot of bearing on how I live my life, on the clothes that I wear, on the food that I eat, on the ways that I spend my money, on the ways that I earn my money. And the opposite should be should be the case. We should really be informed by the faith on all of these things. And so when we lean into the liturgical year, it's a way for us to show the rest of the world that yes, we do things differently. The you know, the the holidays that we celebrate, the ways that we celebrate our holidays the food that we eat, et cetera, or the food that we don't eat, uh, all this can be a way of showing the faith. And I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind. Yeah. And I think another point besides that is that we're, since we're submitting to the church's wisdom and the wisdom of God in terms of how we structure our lives, we are, we're allowing ourselves to be formed by the wisdom of the church and of God um, through the church's liturgical year. And so it can advent, or not just Advent, but liturgical living is a way to allow ourselves to unite our wills with God, with God's will, and to be formed uh, spiritually. Yeah, that's a good point too. I think of the rosaries, the um, or the the mysteries of the rosary rather, and how how those mysteries allow us to enter into through contemplation, enter into the life of Christ, and that's what the liturgical year does as well. I think people often don't think about it this way, but the liturgical year is nothing more or less than a way for us to align our calendar year with the life of Christ, which is exactly why we're coming up on Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday in the church year in which we celebrate Christ as King of the universe. And the, you know, as we see Christ depicted in revelation and all kinds of, um, you know, awesome in the truest sense of the word ways, um, he is the King of the universe and we celebrate that. Um, and then at the very beginning of the year, we are back to uh, him back to us being, you know, like John the Baptist, a voice crying in the wilderness as we await the baby Jesus's arrival into the world. Um, and still, I mean, everything that we celebrate along the liturgical year is in some form or fashion that we're, we're able to participate in the life of Christ. So I think you're absolutely right, Sally, that it's, it's formative in the same way that the mysteries of the rosary can be formative. And so when we really double down and we say, I'm going to intentionally adapt my life to this part of the liturgical year that allows me to more fully participate in and enter into the life of Christ. That's really important. And I think that that feeds the third thing, which I would say about this is just that this can be catechetical as well. So it can teach us for sure. We can, we can learn about this as we, as we enter into those mysteries, but for those with kids, um, it can be really important for, or really helpful for us to teach them what it means to be a Christian, to be a Catholic, to help them understand who the triune God is, um, who who Jesus is, who God the Father is, the Holy Spirit, um, who the saints are, as we have multiple opportunities literally every day of the year right. to celebrate the life or death or both of a wonderful saint. And so I think it can be catechetical 
as well. And families that that intentionally recognize this as an option and don't pursue it, I think are really, really passing up on a great opportunity to teach their kids about the faith. There are many more who I think just don't really think about this as a way to catechize, but it's, it's all right there. And it's certainly true that there aren't a ton of resources for you, um, but there are some, and there are a ton of internet resources. I mean, if you have access to the internet, you have access to resources for living the liturgical life of the church And it seems like there's kids. books being written all the time about the liturgical year. Well, one of our favorites is the Catholic All Year by Kendra right. Tierney, who was on the podcast. Um, uh, was that before Advent, I think, Kendra Tierney? It was before on? Lent. Uh, that's what I meant. Yeah, before yeah. Lent. Yeah, thank you. Um, and that's a, that's a great, just like, I talked about it then on the podcast, but it's, it's almost like a manual for every season of the church year and many of the days throughout the church year and how you can sort of, you know, participate in those things. So some really good stuff there. Some of the things we'll talk about tonight, specific things to celebrate, haven't come from that book. Others are kind of taken from, from various uh, sources, but let's transition to that now, Sally. Let's talk about some, uh, and we'll just kind of walk through Advent, not every day, of course, but just some of the, some of the highlights. Um, and we'll start with one of my favorite traditions uh, that comes from the English, actually. And it is called Stir Up Sunday. So what is Stir Up Sunday, Sally? So Stir Up Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. And it is, so it's the Sunday after Christ the King Sunday. And this this year it is the 29th of November. So right after Thanksgiving. And it uh, the, the name Stir Up Sunday comes from the collect for, if not that day, then that week about stir up thy might, we beg thee, O Lord, and come so that we may escape through thy protection and be saved by thy help from the dangers that threaten us because of our sins. And I like to think of it as asking God to kind of to to jolt us out of our ordinary time complacency and and start moving in our hearts and working in our hearts to get us ready for the coming of his son. And um, literally, we can stir up our whatever batter you want to make on Stir Up Sunday. Originally, it was like plum pudding that you would, yeah, Yeah. things that you would have to make the batter for early and then let sit and kind of ferment and get yummier over time. Days when the English would uh, cook with like brandy, right? And so you'd like stir up the fruit, the I don't know, the flour, whatever, and. So throw all that brandy in there and then right. come Christmas time, it'd be a delicious already. <laughs> but you started on stir up Sunday when you first, so I learned about stir up Sunday from you, Sally. When you first told me about it, I was thinking stir up like, uh, the, uh, you know, as a part of a saddle for your, oh, like a horse. horse. Yeah. 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 Uh, but no, it's actually stir up, stir up our hearts. Uh, so our version of that is just to make pancakes, which we do often yeah. on Sundays anyways, and have everybody to have the chance to stir it, stir the batter and to say this, Collect yeah, you together. pray the collect as a family, exactly. And it's it's nice. I mean, the uh, first Sunday of Advent is almost always, but not always, the first Sunday after Thanksgiving, right? Um, and uh, and it's just nice because this is potentially a good opportunity if you have family visiting you for Thanksgiving, maybe not this year because of COVID, but nice opportunity for you to observe Stir Up Sunday with extended family, perhaps. Yeah, bring them into it. Yeah, um, but it, it's it's really fun uh, for everyone to get involved and like, okay, now we're kicking off Advent. Now it's, a, now it's time to prepare our hearts and, and get serious about this. Um, Sally, you also have a chain for Advent. Can you talk to us about that? So that kind of just helps me keep everything straight, but I like to make a chain sometime in November where each day the kids can take off one of the rings and I end up saving those pieces of paper for the next year so that I remember what I did. But it just tells us what the saint is for that day and maybe something that we're going to do that day. 
um, to celebrate the saint, or if there isn't a major saint to celebrate that day, then some other way that we're going to get ready for Advent and uh, and incorporate our fasting, almsgiving, and prayer into our lives. And you say it's for you, but it's really for the kids, but it's, it's for you to like keep track of all the yeah, things. Yeah, I can keep track of the it, things right? that but, I want to do, but then they can also be involved in the, in the process too. Yeah. And, and, and by chain, it's like the, the paper chain. So you cut the strips of paper, you right. tape them together. And it, it's, so I have purple for most of the days and then white for the solemnities. And pink. then one day is pink. Yeah. Yep. Gaudete Sunday. Yeah. And then sometime during Advent, I will make a Christmas chain as well. For the 12 days of Christmas. But the Advent one I think is good because it, it hammers home to our kids this theme of expectancy. Like yeah. we're, we're, we're moving towards something. We're driving towards something. It's not a endless time of waiting. We are taking on sacrifices, et cetera. But we're also doing some things that can be fun as we prepare to to welcome Jesus. And, and so we'll talk about some, other, some more of those things. One of my favorites is St. Nicholas Day, which we observe on December 6th. Yes. And um, I d- did want to mention that Strip Sunday is also when you start your Advent wreath. And you could make your own wreath, you could make your own beeswax candles, or you could just buy a store-bought wreath or a fake wreath and buy candles and just make sure you have the right colors. And each Sunday, you have, there are special prayers that you can say. Those are all available online. Yep. And, um, and then each night of Advent, you'll want to light those and, um, and add to it each Sunday. And I, w- I would just say, you know, I, I strongly encourage parents to um, to have a set aside time, especially on the Sundays of Advent. Um, but ideally every night, I mean, it'd be great if you could do a family dinner and then have a little time of prayer, et cetera. But I would say, especially on the Sundays of Advent, it's important for parents to have a time of recollection, perhaps, and probably just after a meal, because everyone's at the table, kind of a captive audience. If you have young kids, especially, and have a moment where you can light the wreath together. Um, you can, you can do the Advent blessing of the wreath, um, appropriate for that Sunday, et cetera. Another thing that would be good that we didn't mention is starting on November 30th, you can do the St. Andrew's Novena, which is a tradition. You say it on the 30th all the way through once a day, right? Or is it mm-hmm. three? Yeah, once a day, um, starting on the 30th all the way through Christmas Eve. And it's a beautiful prayer and that, that, again, just sort of helps us drive home the reality of waiting for Jesus. And this is an especially good one, I think, to pray in the evening because the, the imagery in the prayer is kind of about, well, it's about midnight and the cold. And I'll just read the prayer, actually, because it's beautiful. It says... Hail and blessed be the hour and moment in which the Son of God was born of the most pure Virgin Mary at midnight in Bethlehem in the piercing cold. In that hour vouchsafe, I beseech thee, O my God, to hear my prayer and grant my desires through the merits of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and of his blessed mother. So that together as a family, just once a night from the 30th through the 24th. Is a great way to incorporate some new Advent prayer tradition. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many, there's other things that you could add on and other ways that you could intensify your family's prayer life, but that would just be a great starting point. Um, and, and Kendra actually calls it the Christmas anticipa- anticipation prayer because Novena is kind of a misnomer since it's not nine days. Yeah. And I think that's just a great way to phrase it too, that it's, we're anticipating Christmas by saying this prayer. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what it is. So uh, let's go back to St. Nick's day. Cause we got okay. a little sidetracked. So this is one of my favorites. We obviously celebrate St. Nicholas of Mira. Um, a great saint in the life of the church, uh, heavily celebrated in the Eastern churches, especially. Um, and there's the legend of him giving the gold coins to the widow's daughters. Is that right? Do I have that? To daughters who don't have a dowry. And so they couldn't get married if they didn't have enough money. And so they, he would leave them sacks of money, either 
he would throw them through their window or leave them at the end of their beds or put them in their stockings or (laughs) there's, you know, various versions of the legend. And so in keeping with that legend, one of the traditions is to leave coins in your children's shoes overnight. Right. So they put their shoes out the night before on the fifth and then um, there's different ways you can celebrate. You could just put gold coins in there. You could put an orange in there. That was, that's also a tradition. Yep. We like to um, give them a new book for Advent. And so they get those three things, you know, around their shoes. And we normally do it. This is fun. We do the chocolate covered or the the, the chocolate coins, you know, foil covered chocolate right, coins, right. which is kind of fun. Um, they get more excited about those than they would about, you know, a few quarters. Real anyway. money. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's a really fun one. Um, and it's a great opportunity to just do some catechesis on St. Nicholas and who he was. And yeah, there's so many books out there. Um, a great one is by Demi, but there's, there's plenty, plenty of books, ways to learn about who the real St. Nicholas is. And if you have confusion about Santa Claus, this is a great opportunity to point out that, well, Santa Claus comes from an actual person. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a great catechetical opportunity too. Um, you know, we don't do Santa Claus in our family in the sense that we don't have you know, a Santa Claus come down the chimney and, and deliver gifts, but we do the St. Nick delivery overnight, you know, and I think our Yeah, oldest... and we say that's for the kids who celebrate, the boys and girls who celebrate Advent. St. <laughs> exactly. Nick comes for them. And I think our oldest is kind of skeptical of the reality of the, of, of St. Nicholas coming to our house, et cetera, but it's still, it's still a magical fun things, fun thing for the younger two and the oldest goes along with it. So, um, but, but that's, that's a lot of fun. Um, right after that, we have December 7th, which is the, by the way, did I say that right? Is it the sixth for St. Nick's day? That's mm-hmm. right. Okay. Yeah. This um, year it's the second Sunday of Advent. Okay. Yeah. And so then December 7th, we have the vigil of the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. Yes. And then obviously on the eighth, we have the solemnity itself. Right. So the vigil is traditionally a day of fasting and penance. It is also St. Ambrose's day. And, um, you can get ready for your huge celebration of the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. So let's go back real quick. You said it's a day of fasting and abstinence. Why is that? Uh, well, traditionally vigils along with Ember Days and Rogation Days were all penitential days in the church's history. And, um, well, it's, it's again, because of this, um, anticipatory theme, a vigil before a major feast is an opportunity to anticipate the feast. Right. Um, just like in Advent, we take on, um, penances. You do the same thing on the vigil of a major feast. The reason this is really interesting is because Christmas is a major feast, uh, which means Christmas Eve, by the way, is a vigil, which means by the way, it's a day of fasting and abstinence. So, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but yeah. And similarly Halloween, <laughs> which is a funny one too. Good point. Yeah. So no Halloween candy on Halloween. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, luckily Halloween candy is vegetarian. So yeah, good point. <laughs> um, okay. So we've got the solemnity. So what are some ways we can celebrate the solemnity besides of course, going to mass on this holy day of obligation? Well, it's fun to wear something white or put white ribbons in your hair, to decorate with white balloons, white streamers, to eat white foods, you know, white chicken chili, um, Mexican wedding cookies, whatever your family likes, whatever would the be advantage fun. Of mashed the wedding potatoes. Cookies, you can save the wedding cookies for either the next day, uh, St. Juan Diego's uh, memorial, the 9th, or you can just throw them in the freezer and bring them out again on the 12th, which is the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Exactly. Yeah. And they, they happen to be white and Mexican. Perfect. Some other things you could do. I mean, you could sing, you could sing a song. There's some wonderful hymns about the Blessed Virgin Mary. You could do a litany of the Blessed Virgin Mary. We actually love doing litanies in our house. Um, our two-year-old loves watching altar boys at church and really, really, really wants to be an altar boy. So for his birthday, uh, recently I made him a little altar boy, uh, cross to carry a processional cross to carry around the house. 
And uh, he, he does that, and we follow behind singing a litany. And so we, we'll do a litany of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Sometimes we'll do a litany of all saints, et cetera. You could do a family rosary. You could enthrone an image of Mary in your home. Just something big that you can do to to celebrate Mary. And it's a great opportunity, again, on the catechetical point, to talk about what the Immaculate Conception is, since there's so many mis conceptions about them right about so it's it. just about how jesus was perfect when he was born right so like, <laughs> <laughs> that it's it's one of my favorite misconceptions is like i mean it's sad that so many catholics don't know but it's just, it's also to me amusing that people don't understand what the immaculate conception is and how it celebrates mary's immaculate conception and not that of jesus um Okay, so I mentioned St. Juan Diego on the 9th, and then we've got the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. This is, is actually, actually a feast. A feast, yeah. yeah. And so one thing that we do in our family is really celebrate the feast in Advent. I mean, even those that aren't solemnities, we, we kind of look at the calendar, and Our Lady of Guadalupe, for example, is one where we're like, okay, we want to we wanna actually make this a feast. So um, in the past, we've like we've gone to Mexican food, you know, and, and you can have meat in your Mexican food, which is, is fun. Um, if it's different from what, what else you're doing. In yeah, we kind Advent, of lift our Advent uh, penances, whatever they are, right. for that day, um, because it's not just it's not it's not just any old Saint Day. <laughs> not that any of them are boring or unimportant, but it's actually to the level of a feast, which is right under a solemnity. Yeah, I also think on that day it's a great idea to um, find a Spanish-speaking parish if there's one near you and attend uh, a mass at that parish. Uh, I mean, the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe, her apparition um, there is just is such a powerful thing for uh, for so many people in the sort of Hispanic part of America, but especially in Mexico. Um, and I think just going to a parish that for a parish for which it has kind of that extra meaning would be a really cool thing to do for your family. Again, going back to the catechetical point that we've made previously. And there are some really good children's books about Our Lady of Guadalupe as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, it's just such a remarkable story. And our kids love it. It's just a captivating story for kids. So highly recommend, you know, finding some books at your library or something that you can dive into with your kids on the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Yeah, we've had a few. Um, one parish that we went to one year did a whole play of Juan Diego and Our Lady of Guadalupe, which was awesome. And then they served Mexican hot chocolate afterwards. And then another parish um, had a special... Spanish mass for Our Lady of Guadalupe. Right. And then the children processed, processed up to the statue of Mary with flowers. So it was cool. It was super cool. Yeah, it yeah. was really cool. Those are obviously non COVID times, but. All right. So then the next day, uh, special for our family, maybe not for everyone's, but I think this is still a fun day with some cool, tr cool traditions. This is St. Lucy's Day. So uh, yeah, in a way, this is an easy one to celebrate as a family because there are so many traditions. Yeah. You can just pick one out of a huge number because St. Lucy was in in Sweden she's highly highly celebrated and so there's a million recipes out there you could bake anything that is remotely Swedish and um, the easiest one I think is just to have cinnamon rolls that are pre-made and then you unroll them and then roll them to look like you'll have to look it up it's hard to describe but it's like an s shape and then you put in currants or raisins or chocolate chips as eyes and those are supposed to be symbolizing St. Lucy's eyes which were taken Gouged out, out yeah. and then God put them back in. Now, cinnamon rolls aren't Swedish though, right? No. So actually, if you want to get even more traditional, you would make saffron buns. Which is a Swedish pastry? Which is a Swedish pastry, yeah. And you make them to look like eyes? Yep. Okay. And I'm just not that talented and in what's the, the thing, department. Remind me, there's something about like the oldest daughter yes. processing so, yeah, in with the Sweden, saffron buns or something? The oldest daughter would get dressed in a white 
like nightgown and a red sash with a as Lucy, right? Yeah, with a wreath of candles on her head, and she would Fire bring hazard. in the yeah. <laughs> cookies and the buns, you know, in the morning. Uh, and that was supposed to symbolize that would be like Saint Lucy, who appeared to people in the catacombs of Rome with a light li- lighted wreath on her head. Yeah. Um, a great book about her actually that talks about all of the many traditions and legends and stories real and legendary is Lucia Saint of Light by Catherine something. And it, uh, it just talks about like how this Italian saint became Italian martyr became such a Swedish phenomenon. Really funny. Actually. Um, I find that I found that wonderful though, when a, 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 culture can sort of latch onto a saint as their own. I mean, another funny example that I've always found humorous uh, since I learned about it is how St. Joseph is such an honored personage in Italy. And right. obviously, right. Joseph, the uh, the foster father of Jesus, was not an Italian. Right, right, <laughs> but right. they've really just adopted him. Yeah, and made him his favorite own. dessert were not cream puffs. As, believe it or not, yeah, it's <laughs> somehow the traditional food to eat on St. Joseph's Day, but uh, yeah. yeah. Well, and this year we're excited because um, we're going to get together with a couple other Lucys and celebrate St. Lucy's Yeah, it'll be great. Um, So this year, the next thing um, on the agenda, I think for us, is Gaudete Sunday. Uh, You know, you wear pink. It's a great time. Obviously, your priest at Mass should be wearing pink, or you better be wearing pink. Uh, And, you know, maybe the rest of the family can can wear pink as well. Um, and, uh, And that's kind of a fun thing. Uh, it's a, it's a time of joy. It's maybe a time to really double down on Sundays as solemnities and really, um, be happy and joyous. I would say, try to set aside time for the whole family to do something as a family, something joyous there. Uh, but my favorite thing about Gautete Sunday is a tradition started by JP2. Ah, yes. Bambinelli Sunday is the other name for Gaudete Sunday. And that is when you bring all of your baby Jesuses, which you, by the way, have not put out because baby Jesus doesn't come to the manger until Christmas Eve. Right. So if you have your nativity sets out, which we like to bring our play nativity set out on Gaudete Sunday. Yeah, it's like one of those Fisher-Price little people nativities. And it's it's great for kids play. Yeah. Yeah. And we like to have all... So the tradition is to have all of your baby Jesuses blessed by a priest. And you... We, I think we're the only family last year who just brought up a handful of baby Jesuses to our priest and had him bless them. But then you would, you know, take them back and save them for Christmas Eve. Love it. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, JP2 started that, Benedict XVI and Francis have continued it. So apparently they invite all the young Catholics of Rome to bring their little Jesuses from their nativities. So pretty cool. I love it. Um, okay. So, uh, Let's uh, let's skip Ember Days for now, just for time, and let's talk about Las Posadas. So, what's Las Posadas celebrated on the sixteenth this year? Yeah, so this is a another. It, is that is that this year? Or is that is it always this every year? 16th? Yeah. Okay. So, um, in Mexican communities, cities, uh, they will process through their town each night, starting on the sixteenth of December, as Mary and Joseph on a donkey, and they will sing songs, and there will be. People dressed up as devils who will try to shoo them away and say, we have no room for you, no room for you. And Mary and Joseph finally find somewhere to have, to have, to be invited. And they have a, a, a late dinner and kind of festive time. And they do that each night leading up to Christmas. And uh, Tommy DePaulo has a great book called like the Knights of Las Posadas that describe this and explain it. And actually Josefina, the American girl, also talks yes. about it in her Christmas book. Which this that's a great point, Sally. Uh, I think I would highly recommend our 
listeners who have daughters of the age that they would appreciate American Girl dolls um, to think about Josefina because Josefina is a devout Catholic and there are a lot of things weaved throughout those books. Yeah, American Epiphany, Girl Love books. Yeah. Las Posadas. Um, she's born Saint on St. Joseph's, Joseph's Day, Day, I believe. Yeah. Um, it's really Saint fun. St. Nicholas's Day. She gets the she gets coins in the shoes, right, et cetera. Right. So, so there's some really cool stuff in there. I mean, the writers obviously, uh, as far as I know, don't appear to be, you know, faithful Catholics, but they're they're just trying to be true to the They're at the least time true period. to the heritage and it's really yeah. cool. You know, our, our daughter's been reading them and they're just thinking, like, oh, it's so cool that Josefina does this and Josefina does that. She too. has a family altar and so, yeah. family prayers. Yeah, so a great way to um again, you know, help your help catechize your daughter. Um, okay, so one of my favorite things is the O Antiphons. If if you have uh, you know, been Catholic for a while, you're probably very familiar with the O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I mean, even many secular people, I think, are because it's a sure. sort of a hauntingly beautiful, you know, key of E minor type of piece in which we but maybe anticipate. not all of the verses. <laughs> yeah, sure. And so there are seven of them and they're called the O Antiphons. It's O Wisdom, O Lord, O Root of Jesse, O Key of David, O Rising Sun, O King of the Nations, and then O Emmanuel, which, which means God with us. And um, they form a... Uh, What's the word for a, a, not a matrix, but a, not a mnemonic, uh, <laughs> an acrostic. An acrostic. They form an acrostic. If you take the first letter of each of those attributes of God or names of God, and then you, in Latin, and then you reverse them, it comes up with E-R-O-C-R-A-S, arrow cross, I guess. And it means tomorrow I will come. That's cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just like, just like they planned it. Uh, yeah. So these are cool though. You start them on the 17th and you do them through the 23rd. Um, and then you're done by Christmas Eve. And again, a way to enter into the mysteries to anticipate the coming. So that would be another cool thing. You know, maybe after you finish your St. Andrew's novena or your Christmas anticipation prayer, starting on the 17th, you could do an O Antiphon verse Sing, yeah, sing, you know, come on, come in, verse, exactly. Yeah. And last year I found a coloring book that had a page for each of the O antiphons, which was pretty fun, just available online. So um, I think the last thing we could talk about, right, the fourth Sunday of Advent and then Christmas Eve. So the fourth Sunday of Advent is maybe that the week leading up to that, perhaps maybe that week would be a good time to um, do some of the sort of what we might call conventional Christmas preparation things, uh, maybe set up the family tree. Um, Sally, we like to decorate our tree a little bit differently. Yeah, so when when we get our tree, I put Advent decorations on it. So just purple ribbons or purple balls, um, any ornaments that we've made to go along with Advent saints, any any sort of anything related to Advent, we put on the tree. And then on Christmas Eve, I'll take all those decorations down and put up our Christmas decorations while Zach prepares our Feast of the Seven Fishes. This is my favorite thing to talk about. I've been waiting this whole podcast to talk about the Feast of the Seven Fishes. So (laughs) I said we would talk more about Christmas Eve as a day of abstinence. It is a vigil for a major feast that is Christmas. And so you're not supposed to have, traditionally speaking, I mean, the the USCCB has not issued a moratorium on meat on Christmas Eve, just to be clear. Unless it was a Friday, I guess, then... That would be no. They still haven't issued true, a moratorium, right? True, so, no. uh, so they've not done that. I'm not saying you have to do this, but traditionally, this would be a time again where you abstain from meat and anticipate the big feast. And in Italy, the traditional meal for Christmas Eve, and you can read about this if you don't believe me, in Tommy DePaula's uh, Strega Merry Christmas Strega Nona, there is a feast of the seven fishes in which you celebrate, you celebrate, but still abstain uh, with a big feast on Christmas Eve. And probably usually they would go to midnight mass first and then have the feast after that. You think so? 
I, I think so. But if they're, if they're having the feast after midnight mass, wouldn't they eat meat? Uh, oh, yeah, that's true. Okay. I so think yeah, this is I'm like probably sure. probably earlier in the yeah. day. Okay. But uh, anyway, it's all fish, and there's seven different kinds of fish. And so this has become, over the past two or three years now, our family tradition on Christmas Eve. So we, we don't do meat on Christmas Eve the whole day. And then at dinner... We have a wonderful feast, but there's still no meat because it's all different kinds of fish. Now we're a little bit, we kind of stretch the definitions of fish. So I think right. last year there were, um, there were goldfish involved, I think, because we were a little short maybe on one of the fish. Maybe that was like one of them. Maybe yeah. it, or maybe it was Swedish fish or something. We yeah. definitely cheated a little bit, but, yeah. um, but it was, it was fun. I mean, there's some, you know, the, the kids obviously like tuna fish, so we could do some, yeah. some tuna then fish like on crackers, salmon, mahi, salmon, mahi, 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 ahi tuna, ahi tuna um, mackerel, like canned mackerel. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I think we might've done sardines one year too. Yeah, and yeah. so it's, so it's just fun for, for everyone at the fa- in the family to taste different kinds of fish. And, um, and it's been a really good time and very enjoyable. So I highly recommend that as a fun Christmas tradition. And then there's no question about the Christmas uh, dinner. You know, you can do like a, a, a big roast for the Christmas dinner or right. prime rib or something. Right. Um, but you don't have to worry about repeating yourself because right. one's going to be very different from the other. So so that's fun too. Um, really, really love that tradition. Um, and now we're on Christmas, Sally. This episode is not about Christmas, but maybe just a few quick thoughts here. So what do you want to leave our listeners with thinking about how to celebrate Christmas once Advent is over? Yeah, one is just don't stop celebrating after the 25th because that's only the first day of the octave, the first day of the 12 days of Christmas. And there are uh, church traditions that take Christmas through the baptism of our Lord and even to Candlemas, which is February 2nd. So we like to... It's a bit long for me. Yeah, it's it's a a bit long for Zach. (laughs) So we usually take down the tree after the baptism of our Lord, but then I like to leave the lights up until Candlemas. Um because it's fun to, as much as possible, turn off electric lights on Candlemas and appreciate totally. candlelight or Christmas lights. But you could leave your tree up through Candlemas, especially if you get it really late in December, then maybe it'll last that long if it's real. Yeah, those are all really good. I would just maybe add a couple things. Um, I think, you know, kind of tapering or sort of metering out the gift giving over the 12 days is a great idea. And so, you know, because I remember growing up as a kid, so excited for Christmas, went to bed on Christmas Eve, got up on Christmas Day at 4.30 in the morning, whatever, <laughs> woke up my parents, tore open all the presents. And then by 9 a.m., I'm depressed because all the presents are open and there's no more surprises. Right. And, and even so, if you're celebrating for 12 days, it's kind of hard to keep that going unless you have more things to celebrate with. Yeah. So whether that's a new saint, which there really is a saint for pretty much every day of the 12 days of Christmas, um, or special foods, treats. Desserts, we like to bring out the cookies that we made during Advent that we froze or gave to neighbors, bring those out. Um, And then, yeah, like Zach said, having some little gift or present to look forward to each day. And uh, Epiphany happens during the 12 days of Christmas at some point. And that's when we like to say that the wise men bring the stocking stuff. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So So we do stockings on Epiphany, which is fun. And just again, a way of just kind of spreading out the excitement and the anticipation yeah. for the kids. So. And Kendra Tierney's tradition is to leave um, to leave some sort of, oh, to leave like hay or straw for the the camel. And then it's she- the, uh, It's the uh, liturgical, equivalent of, liturgical equivalent of leaving cookies for Santa Claus. Right, right. And so then the camel eat that. And then um, she, they, the way they do it is that then the camel leave their camel spit behind. Ew, gross. <laughs> I remember that. And I remember thinking, uh, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> Which could just be an egg white. There you go. That's yeah, still pretty gross. Okay. Uh, well, I think that is it, Sally. Um, any resources you'd recommend for people who are wanting to learn more about this or kind of 
dive in headfirst like you have? Yeah. Well, I mean, we talked about Catholic All Year by Kendra Tierney. Also, Haley Stewart's blog um, is a great resource. Uh, Which is called Carrots for Michaelmas. Carrots for Michaelmas. Yep. And and then just kind of, uh, I would say, Catholic Culture and Catholic, Catholic Cuisine. Yeah. CatholicCulture.org. And let me look up the Catholic Cuisine website. Yeah. And Catholic Culture does have a lot of recipes on it, but Catholic Cuisine is just dedicated to liturgical recipes. CatholicCuisine.blogspot.com. There you go. So... Um, yeah, those are some good resources and yeah, I would highly recommend the Catholic all year book. Cause I think if you're just looking for like a one-stop shop to kind of expose you to some of the ideas and give you some practical ideas for how to implement, that's a great one. And, um, I had Kendra Tierney on the podcast. If you haven't heard that episode, she was on for last Lent. I might just re-air that episode this coming Lent as well. Um, just to give people some more ideas about what's coming and how to celebrate, et cetera. Um, so anyway, with that, I think we'll call it there, but I hope you enjoyed this episode on liturgical living and some tips. I'm especially thankful to my favorite person, Sally, for coming on. Sally, thank you for coming on Credo Catholic. Oh, you're welcome. And sure I made this episode last way longer. There's so many more things I could say. I know. I had to like move us along. Because, I know. Yeah, we were, we were just... There's so many more things you can... That's the great thing about starting liturgical living in Advent is that you could just pick one thing a week, you know, one thing for each week of Advent that you could do and you would have a million things to choose from. So you don't have to feel like you have to do everything. And then each year you could just build on that. And so each year, you know, more things become embedded in our family tradition. And so we might do something a little bit different or add something. You know, I'm glad you said that because I think this can be a little intimidating to people who are It could be starting. overwhelming for sure. And so I, I like your recommendation. Like maybe just set a resolution of like, I'll look at this and I'm going to do one thing per week. Maybe get an Advent wreath, and that could be kind of your one commitment for the whole Advent. Yeah. Do those, do that on Sundays. And maybe then on top of that, do one thing a week. So maybe the first week you'll be like, kids put out your shoes and then dump a few quarters in there, right? Yeah. Like it can be something small and it doesn't have to be uh, a, a huge orchestrated event, but just one thing a week I think would be a great, a great way to just sort of dip your toe in the waters and see how it goes. So maybe, maybe try that um, and think about it. And I would just say, above all, you know, don't get, don't get, caught up in the logistics and the organization of it all. Remember it, remember that this is a way that we can enter into the mystery of Jesus Christ, the mysteries of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Ideally um, we're, we're saying no to more things than we're saying yes to, because we're trying to create space in, in, in this, these weeks leading up to, to Christmas and trying to allow God to have room to work in our lives rather than being caught up in the busyness and commercialization of Christmas. Right. So if it, if it defeats that purpose, then then, you know, that's not what the church is too asking much. us to do. Yeah. yeah. But really quickly, we didn't talk about uh, the manger for baby Jesus. Right. And I just wanted to mention that um, since it, if you do want to make it more like a mini Lent, you can encourage your kids to sacrifice by, uh, you know, giving up a special food one day or a snack or doing something nice for somebody else. And then they could put a piece of quote unquote straw, which is just really yellow yarn into a manger of some sort, even a box and to prepare the manger for baby Jesus. Yeah, that's a good one too. So we um, like to put that on our family altar and the kids fill it up with a straw with their sacrifices, kind of like sacrifice beads that St. Therese um, came up with. And, uh, and then they see the box getting fuller and fuller until Christmas Eve so when baby nice Jesus has a nice for Jesus, yeah. soft bed. That's great. I mean, that's a, it's a wonderful wonderful vivid way of helping kids see how they can prepare the way for jesus so yeah, through like their that. own penances and sacrifices right yeah um 
Well, I think that's it. Uh, if you have any questions, dear listeners, please reach out. Zach, Z-A-C, at credocatholic.com. Uh, I imagine your questions on this topic will be mostly directed at Sally, and that's totally fine. I'd be happy to put you in touch with Sally. So just reach out to me. Ask any questions you want. Nothing is off limits. Um, we'd love to help people uh, start to kind of dive into liturgical living with their families as well, because it's been a great blessing for ours. I'm super glad we do it. I'm very grateful to Sally for really grabbing the bull by the horns a few years ago and committing to this um, and doing this for our family. So thank you, Sally. Uh, and I encourage all of, all of our listeners to really think about it, give it a shot, pray about it, and ask us if you have any questions about how- And if you have any traditions, I love learning about other people's traditions and tweaking ours with incorporating new ideas. You're so. always innovating. I don't think we've had a single you know feast exactly the same since we've been start, starting to do this. So yeah. All right, well, that's it for this episode of Credo Catholic. Send me a note, Zach, C-A-C, at credocatholic.com. Have a blessed Advent. Uh, I'll be back next week with more content, but hopefully this helps you get, get the season started as we prepare the way of the Lord. And until next time, God bless you.